Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you so much for um, bringing all of us here, first of all, to be able to hear about your word and, and to be able to encourage and build one another up, Lord. And um, as we're here this morning, Father, I just pray that you be with Johnny as he um, delivers a message from you, from the heart, uh, one that can touch our hearts, uh, maybe even break us at times to, to realize things that are going on in our lives, Lord, that, that we might need to change or just things that we need the overall change in our ministries, Lord. And, and Father, I just pray that you be with him, helping to speak boldly and courageously and to um, just give it his all as he puts it all out on the table for us. All these things we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, bro. No problem. This is cool. I got up here and I started looking around and there's props underneath the, the podium. And, and, and I, so I've got the, the blind cane in case I can't remember what I'm talking about. And realize there's a hammer up here in case the podium falls apart. And then only in Arkansas, they even provided me with a spittoon. So this, is, <laughs> so this will be, no, I'm, I'm hoping that this will go well. Um, as uh, as I talked to to Wes about what to, what to speak about, and uh, I was talking with my student intern who is uh, actually interning with a with a homeless ministry in, in Boulder, Colorado this summer. But we thought up he, he thought attitudes would be a good thing to talk about. Um, and if you talk to any of my students, you'll know that that I have an attitude, uh, <laughs> right, Mallory? Yeah, uh, and, and it's not always a good attitude. Um, there are, there are days where I, uh, I wake up and, and I have, I call them my attitude days, and, and I just rejoice in kind of being in a bad mood and being grumpy and looking at everybody like this. And, and so I thought, I thought when, I, when I decided to settle on this topic, I thought, I got this. I, I, can, I can talk about attitude. And uh, an interesting thing happened as we were getting ready for this. God broke me. <coughs> Um, uh, it's been a year for it's been a year for God breaking many things in me, and um, and so what I ended up coming back to is is there, there's a passage in the Bible that's perfect for this, and it's in Philippians chapter two. Um, and, and so we're we're going to start there, and I just want to read I want to read Philippians chapter two, starting in verse one and going through verse eleven, just to get started. Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Attitude. 
Webster's Dictionary defines it as a manner or disposition, a feeling or position, with regard to a person or thing, a tendency or an orientation, especially of the mind. Also defines it as a position or posture of the body, appropriate to or expressive of an action or emotion. It's also a term used in aeronautics, the inclination of the three principal axis of an aircraft relative to the wind, to the ground, etc. Attitude. What do you think about when, when the word attitude comes to mind? What, what, what paths do you travel down as you think about attitude? For me, it, it, it's about more than just a posture of the mind or a way we stand or the way we communicate things. Attitude is something much deeper, much, much, much uh, richer, and, and much more forth-telling of who we are as people. Um, and, and so I want to think on it as this way. Um, the word attitude used in Philippians in the Greek means to seek or to strive for someone's interest or advantage. It means a habit of thought expressed by deeds living in you. So as we think about attitude, I want you to think more about the fact that you don't like a certain professor. I want you to think more of that, that guy that always raises his hand when the instructor's trying to let us leave early. It really annoys me. I want you to think more than um, just the attitudes that you have towards one another in your campus ministry. I want you to think about it as being for someone. Um, one of the things that we do from time to time uh, with the Mustangs for Christ is when we're praying for someone, we'll stand on either side of them and hold their arms up. This is a physical representation of that we are with you. This is a, this is a physical reminder for them and, and a visual reminder for them that we are standing beside you and we are lifting you up. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about attitude. I, I, I'm talking about investing in people. I, I'm talking about, talking about pouring yourself out, getting over yourself, and, and really learning what other people need. And so, so what I'm going to do today is as we talk about attitudes, and I'm going to break it up into three points for you. And the three points are going to be very easy for you to follow. They're going to be very easy for you to catalog and hopefully keep a record of. Because as we talk about attitude, and, and as Paul says that we have to have the same attitude or the same mind of Christ, that we are like-minded with Him, it takes me back to Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. And, and you know, I, I tried to stay away from the, the Beatitude corny joke thing. And, I'm, and I promise I'm going to try to do that because it's old and it's, it's tried and, and it's not near as funny as Orlando thinks it is. So we're going to stay away from that and, and we're going to move along. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this morning. Um, there, there's a lot of thoughts that ran through my brain as, as I looked at this verse and, and these verses in Philippians and as I looked at that. But the, the thing I want us to hinge on this morning, what I want us to launch off of is Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. I was joking with, with Mike uh, Robinson. He and I were at sunset together, and I, I was joking with him that 
it's not hard for me to figure out what to preach because I just have one sermon that I kind of preach in different ways. And, and, and while that's somewhat facetious, it's true. Because everything that I talk about, everything that I preach, comes from the idea that I believe God has two eternal purposes. And if you've ever heard me speak, you've heard these. And the first one is that God wants all men to be saved. And the second one is, once saved, God wants us all to be like Jesus. He wants us all to become like Christ. Paul's right in Philippians when he says that we have to have the same mind as Christ. And, and, and this, this bears out great in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 when it talks about us with ever-increasing glory, reflecting the face of Christ and being made like Christ. So that's the, that, that, those, are the, those are the ground rules. Those are, those are the basic things that everything for me comes out of. That God wants everyone saved and then He wants everyone to be like Jesus. And, and, and this is not some, some, some heavenly goal that He is settling for in eternity. He wants us to strive after these things now. And, and, that's, and that's what we see when we look at the attitude of Jesus. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to do a lot of turning in the Bible, I hope, if I can remember and hit my marks. But we really want to, we really want to look at this because, because Jesus is, is, is standing on this mountain, or sitting on this mountainside, and, and I love, I think it's the New American Standard Version, says that He just opened His mouth and the words begin to flow out. It's, 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 like, it's like cracking open a rock. Where there's, a, where there's a spring under and the water just begins to bubble up. These are things that just flowed out of Jesus' mouth. He didn't have to think about them. He didn't have to plan them or anything else. These were the things that were nearest to His heart, that were nearest to the surface, and He just spoke. They just flowed out of His mouth. And you see, so, so point number one today, point number one today are the first four Beatitudes, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, keep your finger there, put a mark there or whatever, and go back over to, uh, go back over to Philippians chapter 2. So we have poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, and those who hunger and thirst for for righteousness. How does this fit in with Philippians chapter 12? I'm so glad you asked. In chapter, in chapter 2 verse 3 of Philippians we see Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And then in verse five, in verse 6, after saying that we should have the same attitude as Christ, he says, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Guys, this, this, this idea of being poor in spirit, Jonathan talked about it a little bit last night. We're not a big deal. We're not a big deal. Now, I don't want to discount you because there is a role that you're destined to play in the kingdom that if you don't step into that role and play it, the kingdom suffers. Your community suffers. Your campus ministry suffers if you don't step up and take the responsibility you're going to take. Guys, this is a huge responsibility for you. This is a huge responsibility for you. With adolescence lasting to near 30, and you guys sitting around playing video games, women are waiting for you to grow up. Amen. 
so that you can begin to lead in your campus ministries, so that you can begin to set the pace, so that you can begin to set the ideas, so that you can begin to walk out in front of them like a point man into the spiritual battlefield that are our campuses. Okay? But ladies, you're not off the hook either. It's about more than your GPA. Okay? It's about more than it's about more than you getting a, a MRS degree. It's about more than you going to college just so that hopefully you can find the right man. Okay? I, I encourage my students to not even date. And here's why. You have no clue who you are. You don't, know who, you don't know who God is telling you you are. You don't know your identity in Christ. And if you don't know your identity in Christ, you're not going to find that out when you're trying to please somebody else. Poor in spirit. What does that mean? Basically it means that you know that you can't solve yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't, you can't help yourself. You can't enable yourself. You can't go to the self-help section in the Christian bookstore, read a book, and all of a sudden be super Christian. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And then he says we have to be people who mourn. What, what do you think about when mourner, with a mourner? A mourner is somebody who is racked with sorrow. A mourner is somebody who, who is beside themselves and unable to, unable to lift themselves out of this. It is, a, it is a sorrow that overwhelms like the ocean waves as they wash over you. Meek. I have trouble with this one. I do not do meek well. Um, uh, I, this, this, this is probably when, when, when I fall at the altar of me, um, meekness is the thing that I repent of the most and not having that. Um, and, and this plays out in various different ways. And finally, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Think about it. Paul is saying in Philippians that Jesus, who was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped a hold of. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around God leaving His position and coming... In, in the, one of the most vulnerable ways is that of, a, that of an embryo into a, into a child and then to be born of a woman and to grow up as a child. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that because that is, that's a level of vulnerability and it is becoming poor. It, 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 and it's more than just monetarily or anything else. It's, it's, it's that poor in spirit where he can't do anything for himself. Absolutely nothing. Uh, we, we would not just take a baby and, and bring them into our home and set them in the middle of the floor and go, okay, things are going to be tough. Um, but the formula's in the kitchen, the bathroom's down the hall, and the changing table is in your room. And when you're ready for bed, the crib's in there too. And you just wind the mobile a couple of times for the music. We wouldn't do that with an infant. It's just it is stupid. Um, and, 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 and we shouldn't do that with our new converts either. But we've got to realize, too, that we're in this situation. Spiritually, we're infants still. And, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If it's been 94 years like Lynn, or you know, just, a, just a couple of days like some of you, then, then, then it doesn't matter. Because when we're on this earth, we're poor in spirit. We're, we're infants it doesn't matter how long we've been at this. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what our training is. It doesn't matter what, what letters follow after our names, uh, degree-wise or anything else. We are poor in spirit because we are unable to lift ourselves up. 
And so we have to be people like this. We mourn. What do we mourn? You know, if, if, if I make my wife angry by hurtful words for me, that makes me mourn. Um, if, 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 I hurt one of our, if I hurt one of my students and, and, and by, by having my attitude day or whatever, that makes me mourn. And granted, that takes a little longer, but I do mourn. Meekness, I've got to learn to practice this. I've got to learn to think that, like one of my preaching instructors told me, Johnny, not every idea you have is a good one. And, and, I, and I've got to be willing to accept that. And, and I've got to be willing to, to embrace that. And, and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is probably one of, the, I think, the biggest struggles that we face in campus ministry. Because there are so many opportunities. There are so many things to be involved in. There are, there's this, that, and the other that are going on. And we feel the rush and we feel the pull to get our degree and, and get done and get out in the world. Hey, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how long it takes you. I was 35 before I got my bachelor's. And, 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 and I, was, I was 37 before I started in ministry because I did two more years after that of preacher training school. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get your degree. What does matter is how long it takes you to get this attitude. Because until you get this attitude, you might as well be using this. Or groping along in a dark hotel room. Or, 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 or you know, if you don't have this attitude, guys, you can't find your rear end with a GPS. Okay? It's just plain and simple. You don't have a clue until you get this attitude. We're talking, about, we're talking about a God who came to this earth but did not consider equality with God something to be there. And as we think about those words in there, that we think about the poor in spirit, we think about the mourners, we think about those who are meek, and we think about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of these things are desires that we have deep down inside of us. All of these things are, are, are things that affect us physically and things that are outwardly, emotionally, and everything else. And, and you think about when you're thirsty. You ever, you ever, you ever have a drink, a dream where you're looking for a drink of water? You ever wake up just, just parched, just, just thirsty, and, 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 and the first thing you got to do is you've got to find some water. Um, it's, it's something that, that, that you've got to have. And then if you can't find water, it's even worse. I remember when I was a kid, we were helping my uncle move into his new apartment, and I really wanted something to drink. And there was a cup on the bathroom sink, and I thought, cool, water. And I picked it up, and it was like comic cleaner. Uh, it was not very satisfying. Um, it, 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 it leaves a chalky residue. Uh, my mouth was real clean. Uh, <laughs> didn't have to wash my mouth out for soap for a while. But, but no, I mean, when you, when you want water, nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will suffice. I mean, there's times I want coffee. And there's times I want my raspberry sweet tea. Don't judge. <laughs> it's a manly drink. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Um, but, but there's some times that only water will suffice. Only water is going to take care of the thirst that we have. But think about all the things that we thirst for in our lives, that, that we long for in our lives, that, that we want in our lives. We want approval from other people. We long to feel love. We long to have a purpose. We're thirsty for joy. We're thirsty for happiness and all these things. But we need to get over the idea of just the thirsty and the wanting. Because see, if we just have that, if that's all we have, then we're running to and fro trying to find other things to satisfy that thirst. 
We're trying to find other things that'll 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 give us that craving, and we end up with a glass of comet, or 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 worse, we end up with a glass of vomit, and uh, and 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 that's not a good thing. We we know that we know that going back to sinful lifestyle is 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 like a dog returning to its vomit, and 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 so we know that we don't want to be. That's not what we want to be pursuing. There's a there's a there's a joke about a guy who goes into a bar and he said he'd do anything for a drink. And the bartender says, okay, I'll give you a drink for free if you'll pick up that spittoon and take a drink out of it. And the guy's like, oh, man, I don't know. He goes, you want a drink? And he's like, okay. So he picks up the spittoon and he picks it up and he goes, and drinks the whole thing down. And the bartender's just sitting there. He's like, what are you doing? I told you you just had to take a drink. You didn't have to drink the whole thing. He says, I tried, but after it got started, it all came out as one. Now, that's a gross joke. But guys, that's what sin is like. Listen to me. That's what sin is like. It's not just one. It's the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And you think it's gross to think about somebody drinking out of a spittoon. What have you put in your mouth? We've got to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because nothing will invalidate your ministry like sinful behavior in your ministry. Nothing. Nothing will invalidate your ministry like somebody taking bong hits on Facebook that's associated with your ministry. Like somebody, like somebody doing a power funnel. Nothing will invalidate your ministry and you are a reflection of Christ on your campus. Nothing invalidates that more than blatant, unrepentant sin. And it's just like drinking out of a spittoon. It just continues to flow. It continues to flow. And it opens you up to all kinds of spiritual attacks. And it'll take you out. We've got to be people who are willing to realize that we're poor in spirit, that we need to be mourning our sinful life, that we need to be meek enough to repent, and we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we need to get over this idea of, man, I'm thirsty. What would I like to drink? Drink water. Obey what God tells you to do. Don't slack off. The key word is obey. And the key influencing factor is who or what you choose to obey. If you choose to obey yourself, if you choose to what the world offers you, you're going to be thirsty for a long time. And you're going to be constantly seeking after this thing and the next thing and the other thing. They call certain drugs gateway drugs. Guys, they're not necessarily gateway drugs. It just didn't fill your thirst, so you have to go find something else. I used meth for seven and a half years. And really what you're doing with meth is you're chasing that first high the rest of the time. That's what you're going after. Because it doesn't fulfill. I have a friend that's just been through a divorce in the last couple of years. And he would mourn for a little while and then he would go off and pursue sexual exploits. He would mourn for a little while and then he would go, uh, go drink or go smoke weed. He would, he, would, he would mourn for a little while and, th and then go act like a dumb butt. And... I mean, that was his lifestyle. And, and instead of it taking him six months to a year to mourn, it's taken him two years. Because guess what happens? When you forget to mourn and you go off and do something else, when you come back, you have to start at the same place or over. 
because those feelings are fresh and new again. You've got to obey. Obedience to God was what Jesus set forth as His purpose when He got here. He was God and He set forth obedience. Not that it was something to be robbed. Not that it was something to be taken a hold of for His own use. But that He was a servant. And He came here to serve. In the New Living Testament, Philippians 2, 5-11 through reads this way, Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not demand and cling to His rights as God. He made Himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, He obediently humbled Himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. The key word is obey. John 14, 15, If you love Me, you will obey My commandments. John 15, 14, easy to remember. And you are My friends if you obey Me. There's no other way. When we are poor in spirit, when we mourn our sin, when we are meek, and when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it leads us to obedience. Plain and simple. I love what David says. He says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. The world wants to tell us that obeying somebody else is bondage. It's not. It's running in the path of His commands because He sets our hearts free. So we've got to be people with this attitude. We've got to be people that are willing to to set aside what I want. And if you and I are going to do what God says, then we must believe that He knows what He's talking about and that He knows better than we know. We need to be people who are poor in spirit, people who are willing to mourn, people who practice meekness, and people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because without that, we don't move on. We just constantly learn that lesson over and over and over and over again. Anybody know a person that learns things the hard way? Aren't they frustrating people? And if you are that person, aren't you frustrating people? (laughs) Don't you get tired of that? Don't you just get, you're just like, ah, gee, ah! And you just you, you can't you can't get over it. You have you have such a hard time with that. But we've got to be able to move on. Go back to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. The second point are verses seven through twelve, where Jesus taught that blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The second point is, we've got to be merciful, pure, peacemakers, and persecuted. Jesus did not consider it His right to be equal with God. It says that He emptied Himself to be used by Himself. I think of Luke chapter 4. When Jesus is in the desert and He goes through the temptation, you know what I draw from, the most strength I draw from that? Jesus uses exactly what I have at my disposal to resist temptation. He uses Scripture. 
And, and I, I have trouble memorizing scripture. I tell people all the time that it's just as slick on the inside as it is on the outside. <laughs> I just I don't remember things. I, I was in theater for a while. The reason I'm not is I didn't remember lines very well. Uh, you know, and, and when you when you when when you ad lib in a movie, that's cool. They can craft around that. When you do that on stage, which is where I work, it doesn't work so well. The other actors are going, and they can't figure out. They're just giving you a funny look. They don't know what to do or where to go. We've got to be people though who are reading our Bibles. One of the things that we're doing this year for the Mustangs for Christ is is we decided to fast from theological books this summer, which is hard for me because. Francis Chan's new book came out, and I, I really want to read that now. Um, and, and there's other books that come across my desk that I want to read, that people are talking about, that, that, that my friends are recommending and everything else. But what we've decided to do is to take and take the 90-day Bible program and do that over the months of June, July, and August. Uh, and, and, and we're doing okay. We're behind a little. Uh, some of us are, you know, some of us are doing summer school and a little behind, more behind than others. But some of us have a little more behind than others. But anyway, uh, these are just things that we have to work with, and you have to go through. And you don't, you don't, you don't get down on yourself. You just keep reading. You keep, you keep studying. You keep trying to figure out what it is that God's trying to trying to say to the people there and what carries over to us. Because this teaches us that we've got to be merciful, that we've got to be pure, that we've got to be peacemakers, and that, and that we're going to have to be persecuted. Um, which is probably one of the, one of the hardest things. When, when Jesus comes and He's born, He's, he's born in, 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 in the form of a common man. He doesn't come as a king. He doesn't come as a mighty knight. He doesn't come like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. I know I'm dating myself. But he doesn't, he doesn't come dressed for battle. He comes dressed for cuddles. I mean, he's a baby. You know, the biggest, the, the most important thing he could say is, ah, no. that, that's it. That's all he's got in the beginning. And then he grows up and he gets acne. And, and he stumbles and he, and he goes through that awkward phase where his feet are too big and smells are coming out in, in weird ways. And, and just, he's just like us. He, go, he, goes, he goes through the awkward phase of, of, of liking the girl who doesn't like him back. And, and, and he goes through the awkward phase of having to be corrected by his parents and, and maybe roll his eyes at it. Rich Mullins has a song, Were You a Boy Like I Was Once? Were You a Boy Like Me? And, and he talks about some of those things. Jesus suffered through the same things that you suffered through. Okay, he didn't have to suffer through, you know, iPhone envy or anything else like that. But he went through the same social things that you and I go through. He came as a common man, and it's because he chose to come as a common man. He took the form of a bondservant. Now, whenever I read that, the form of a bondservant, I actually think of the Wonder Twins. Wonder Twin powers activate. Form of a bondservant. And, and, and it just, it, you know, it kind of doesn't register in my mind right away. Sorry, I'm giving you way too much of a glimpse into how I think of it. But this is, this is the idea. He took the form of a servant. How many of you would sign up for that job now? Any of you going for the masters in bond servanting? It's a lowly position. And it's hard to take. We don't want to serve others. I don't want to serve others because people will start expecting it of me. Right? I mean, 
I mean, I may do it once, but I'm gonna do it all the time. Yeah, I, I was telling, I was telling Miller, hospice called me the other day. Somebody turned my name in as a as as a volunteer for hospice. I'm like, can you tell me who? Because I need to have a talk with them. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not that it's not a good ministry or anything else, but the emotional investment, maybe more than I can handle. I don't want to be a servant. I want to be the white knight rushing in to save people. Um, I had two crazy weeks at Mustangs for Christ. One week I went up to uh, I went up to camp and, and taught a class there for, for high school kids and taught three classes a day. I got to listen to a great speaker and, and just inspired. Came down off of that. Just And people were asking me that Sunday how I was at church. I said, man, I'm so full of the Spirit. I'm ready to blow up. And uh, they backed up when I said that. Um, <laughs> but the next week we had a girl... Um, that was really struggling. And uh, I wanted to save her. And, and I thought we were making some great strides. And, and Wednesday night after our meeting, she, she just had such a glow of peace and joy on her face. And, and Friday night, the wheels fell off and, and, and everything went to hell and gone. And, and it was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. Uh, wanted to help her. The hardest thing in those situations is not to make it about you. I want to think about, okay, God's teaching me. No, God, God, Johnny, this is not about you. Get over yourself. This is about that girl and the demons that are attacking her and surrounding her and influencing her. Here's what I do know. If she doesn't come to understand freedom and join in the fight for her freedom, she's not going to be around much longer. It, it's, it's that dangerous. But here's what it did teach me. I need to rely on God a lot more and me a lot less. Um, you've probably heard a few things about Sunset International Bible Institute and... and some of it's probably true and some of it's probably garbage, but, but here's the thing. Going into Sunset, I overestimated Johnny and I underestimated Sunset. And there's a lot of times in my ministry that I repeat that flaw over and over again and I overestimate Johnny and I underestimate what God wants to do with somebody. Campus ministers, you probably agree with this. It's hard it's it, one of the most difficult tasks for me is to look at somebody and I go, I know exactly what God's going to do in their life. And so I know exactly the next step they need to take. And God has to go, whoa, buddy, I got this. I got, you're only seeing, a buddy of mine says it's like a, it's like a tapestry. It's like a painting. And we get this little bitty corner down here on the side and we're going, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. It's the most majestic piece of art I've ever seen. And God's going back up a little bit. And you start to see the whole picture. That, that's what we get with, with the people that come into our ministries. We get to see this one little corner of them that God's doing right there. And He's just now shaping it there. And He's just now making it there. And, and so in the midst of this, and in Friday night, when the wheels had fallen off, and, and I thought this girl was totally out of reach, I thought of that, that, that we had failed her and everything else, my wife looked at me and said, we may not get to see her freedom. There you go. 
we may just be the first step in teaching her that she's willing to be fought for. Guys, you've got people on your campus that just need to know that you're willing to fight for them. You want to know what it means to be to be to be merciful and and to be and, and to be pure and to be a peacemaker and willing to be persecuted. We always talk about John three sixteen that that's the greatest verse in the Bible. It's okay. <laughs> I prefer First John three sixteen. This then is how we know what love is: that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Therefore, we should lay down our lives for others. You want a ministry statement? Put that on your sign. Because that's what it means to be merciful, to be pure, and to be persecuted, is that I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And that means <coughs> that means when the Doctor Who marathon's on, that means when, when Star Trek comes up on Netflix, that means whatever. You go. You go. And, and you, just, you just be there. It's, it's a ministry of presence. I, I, was, I was a preacher for two years before I, before I took campus ministry. I, I went the opposite of what Jonathan did last night. And I believe I'm a much more intelligent man. <laughs> Not just because of that, but they're not. <laughs> no, here's why. When you're the preacher, you get to spend some time with your folks. When you're the campus minister, you get to spend every day with your church. That's, it is about discipleship making. It is about passing the torch. It is about, it is about getting folks lit. It, it, this, this, this is an amazing, 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 amazing opportunity. And, and I'm excited for the I'm excited for some of the high school kids that I worked with a couple of weeks ago because I watched them sit around and talk to one another about how they weren't treating each other well and, and how they were being selfish and looking out for their own uh, own excuses and, and looking out for their own things and, and everything else. And I just sat there thinking, oh God, can't we get adults to start having this conversation? And then I get to come to my campus ministry and they're having the conversation. You guys are the future of the church. And the future started yesterday. Okay? You're the future of the church. This community idea that you are building in your campus ministries, that you are men and women who talk to one another, that you're men and women who lay down your lives for one another, that you're men and women that have the tough conversations and say, you know what, that's not right, you cannot do that. That's what the church has got to look like. If we want to make a difference in people's lives, we've got to have community. If you're just going out and trying to arrange Bible studies and not trying to develop relationships, how's that working for you? <coughs> you've got to have investment. You've got to, you've got to dig deeper. You've got to understand what they're coming from and what they're doing and not just use a blanket approach. You've got to be merciful. You've got to be pure. You've got to be peacemakers and persecuted. Peacemakers. Anytime I hear peacemakers, the idea of the UN guys in the blue helmets comes up. And you talking about a group of guys that couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, really. What's a peacemaker do? A peacemaker wades into a situation. A peacemaker is somebody like Elijah. 
who shows up one day and goes to King Herod and goes, dude, because you're jacked up and you're jacking up our country, no more rain. A peacemaker, somebody like John the Baptist, who walks up to Herod and after he has, after he has killed his brother and married his sister-in-law and goes, you can't do that! At the cost of his own life. You see, that's a peacemaker. It's not somebody who just goes, well, maybe you should consider... No, it's calling sin, sin, folks. Cheating on a test, sin. Ripping a paper off the internet to turn it into sin. Because small sins lead to big sins. Remember the illustration of the guy drinking out of the end? <laughs> Persecuted. I firmly believe that we don't face enough persecution because we're not a danger to the enemy. You can disagree with me if you want to, but if you want to be wrong, go ahead. <laughs> we have got to be people who are willing to stand up for what is right no matter the cost. And what is right is having the same attitude as Christ. Attitude in campus ministry. That means some people are going to come and they're going to go. We've had that happen. Uh, We've got a girl that went Facebook official with a, with a same-sex relationship. Um, she was one of our leaders in our group. I told her that she could not be in leadership as long as she was going to pursue that. She decided not to come back around, and then a few months later, she sends out a message on Facebook talking about how I barred her from coming. Now, everything in me wanted to jump into that conversation thread and justify myself. The truth does not need justification. I did what was right. And if she and two of the other girls want to leave because I did what was right, okay. I'm not a ministry of numbers. I'm a ministry of making disciples. And that's what we've got to start focusing on. We've got to be people who are willing to face the hard decisions, make the hard decisions, to be persecuted and to stand in. Okay. Third one. Found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This is where Jesus looks around and He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Here's the thing. With this, we cannot hide or be hidden. Okay? We can't, we can't just get over in some corner and then hope people find us and we can't just build a pretty building with a nice sign and hope people show up. This, we cannot be hidden. When we bow to Christ and say, whatever you have for me, I receive, it is then that God will make us salt and light. And this is what some would say is the call. Okay? The call. Now whether you're a minister full-time or you're employed otherwise... You still have this call in your life to be salt and light. And the call is irrevocable. 
The call is irrevocable. If you want to run from God, ask Jonah. Ask Elijah. Ask Peter how that turned out for them. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. Elijah is told to confront Jezebel. And Peter ends up in the middle of a boat, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night with absolutely nothing to show for his efforts. Nothing. He fished all night and he had to swim to shore to find a fish. The call is irrevocable. Matter of fact, Luke says that if salt loses its saltiness, it will ruin manure. He says it's no use for the dummy. How would you like to be seen in God's eyes as somebody that would ruin crap? We have got to be salt and light. We've got to be people that that, that are following the leading of the Holy Spirit as it urges us forward, as it, as it gives us the things to say, as it, as it calls us to holiness, as, as it brings us forward. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 20, 26-28. If you want to be great, you've got to serve others. And if you want to be first, you've got to be the slave. The Son of Man did not come to be a slave master, but a slave who will give His life to rescue many people. Real significance will not be measured by your GPA, by what kind of car you drive, by whether you've got the latest Xbox games or anything else. It's going to be made by the lives that you impact and the way that you serve others. Salt and light. The key to lasting significance and meaning in life is not how other people treat you or how you're served. It is how you serve others. I miss this on a daily basis. i got to be honest. My wife has to look at me when I'm griping because some jack wagon pulled over in front of me on the highway and she'll have to go, honey, it's not a conspiracy. <laughs> My answer has become, yes, dear, stupidity is not a conspiracy. It's just sad. But it, 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 it's not. People aren't out to get you. People are broken and don't know how to function. It's plain and simple. That girl that shows up or that guy that shows up in class reeking of weed or hungover or whatever, they don't know how to function. These are broken people who need to see someone who's not broken, who's been redeemed by salt and light and is now reflecting those things in their life. This is us. This is you. got to be people that are willing to be used. Think about it this way. You go into a restaurant and the service is slow. The waitress is not very happy. Are you concerned about what might be wrong with her? Are you upset that your schedule is being diverted? Are you thinking that you're a sinister victim of the underground busboy movement? And that they are planning on ruining your life through poor service. In Philippians chapter 2, right before he says, have the mind of Christ, he says, don't be selfish. This is the New Living Testament version. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. The key to living a life of significance is not trying to be everybody's boss. We've got to serve. 
Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not demand and cling to His rights as God. He made Himself nothing. He chose the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, He obediently humbled Himself even further by dying a shameful criminal's death on the cross. There's a lot of debates in our fellowship. A lot of debates in our pride, in our, in our tribe, or whatever you want to call it. I call it C-squares. Um, and it reminds us of the old Bugs Bunny hillbilly square dance cartoon where, where Bugs is calling out, hit him over the head, kick him in the knee, and, and we're just, just belittling one another and battling one another. And, and, and it's like a bad MMA fight. Here's what I know. I'm not, the, I'm not the smartest man in the world. Um, I'm, 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 no, I'm no theologian. I'm no linguistic uh, with a Greek minor or anything else like that. Here's what I know. Jesus looked around at his disciples on the last night. And he looked around at them and he said, they'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As salt and light loves one another, it puts my brother first over my wants and desires. So the next time they sing all 147,000 verses of Just As I Am, <laughs> think about sister older than you that loves that song and that it's as rich to her as any of the songs that you enjoy. And then stand up and sing it loud. Go sit with her. Don't just think about you. We have got to stop. We've got to be people who begin to imagine a church that's 100% involved. And then we've got to step into it. We've got to be people who are poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, people who have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful people, people who are pure in heart, people who are willing to make peace, and people who are willing to suffer persecution because we work for Jesus. Be salt and be light.